Um, so this was about, I don't know, three to four years ago um, that this incident happened. And let me give you a little context. Um, my kids, I've got three kids, Connor, Cole, and Collins. Yes, if you don't know me, they're all C's, and we have a dog named Cooper. That's a whole other mistake. Anyway, so the dog and the name, to be clear. Um, but with my three kids, there's something about them that you need to know if you don't already know our family very well. They absolutely love animals, which is why we have the dog. They talked me into it over COVID, so we were one of those families. Uh, but they love animals so much. Connor, my oldest, especially, I said three or four years ago when he was five or six, was really, really into animals, not just animals, but facts about animals. So he would watch Wild Kratz, Zaboomafu, Parents, I see some nods, you know what I'm talking about. We would go to the library and he would make a beeline for the nonfiction section just to get a bunch of books about animals. So he always loves talking about animals, all the descriptions of animals, the statistics about animals. And so because they love animals so very much, we wanted to do something really nice as parents. We wanted to take them to the Georgia Aquarium. So we load up our minivan, start driving south on 400, and just making conversation in the van, I asked the question, hey, what are you most excited about to see at the Georgia Aquarium? What animals are you most excited to see when we get to the aquarium? My oldest son, Connor, he's the very first one to speak up, no shocker there. He says, the puffins. Now time out for a second. I need to be honest with you and confess something. In that moment of history, up until that point, I had never in my life heard of a puffin before, ever. So I'm sitting there in my mind thinking, he said puffin. I know he knows a lot about animals. I want to believe him, but that just sounds too off. That doesn't sound like the name of an animal. So I say, Connor, tell me what a puffin is like. So he begins to give all these descriptions about a puffin and what they're like and what they look like and where they live. And the more and more he gets this description about puffins together, I say, oh, Connor, you mean penguin. And he says, no, dad, puffin. And I said, no, you're talking about a penguin. And we went back and forth, puffin, penguin, puffin, penguin, back and forth, back and forth. I finally do what every good dad does, and we just change the subject. We're like, That's, well, let's just move on. Let's talk about something else. Hey, look, cows. And so we change the subject, and we get further on down 400. And if you've been down the aquarium, you go downtown, you know there's billboards everywhere. And as you start to see the billboards, they start promoting the aquarium. So as we drive, I look up, and I see this massive billboard going south on 400 that says, the Georgia Aquarium welcomes, you ready? Puffins. <laughs> With this ginormous picture of a puffin. And I see it. And I'm like, ah, he was right. <laughs> and then I hear in the back of the van, see, dad, puffins, you were wrong. <laughs> Thank you very much for that, Connor. Yes, I was absolutely wrong. I say that to mention that when you discover or recognize the truth, it will forever change your life. I've now been living in a world since my son was six. I've been living in a world where puffins exist, and it has changed my life. <laughs> that happens, though. The truth will do that to us. The truth, when you recognize it, when you believe it, will change your life. That is my one prayer for you today, that here at Local Church Dawson on Easter Sunday, that you would know the truth, that you would recognize the truth, not about puffins, we're past the puffins. You would recognize and know the truth about Jesus, that he died for our sins, paid the price that we could not pay on our own, 
was in the grave, three days later came back to life, conquering both sin and death, which then gives us all those things that we desire. Joy, love, peace, grace, forgiveness, purpose, meaning, and most importantly, life. Life abundantly in this life here now, but life for all of eternity in heaven with him. That is the truth, and that is the truth that will forever change our lives if we recognize it, if we believe it, and we live for it. So we're going to be looking at part of that truth within the Easter story. So if you have your Bible, we'll be in John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, especially if you're new around here, please, um, this is the best thing that we could ever give you. So out in the lobby next to where you got your coffee, there's a stack of Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you can read or understand or find. No problem. Make sure you pick one up. That's our gift to you. Like I said, the best thing that we could ever give you. That way you've got it. You can read it. You can use it. You can write in it. You can bring it back with you anytime we study it together. John chapter 20, here's the context. What we're going to be reading is after his betrayal, Jesus' betrayal, his crucifixion. He's been in the tomb, obviously, Friday night, all day Saturday, and now we're reading what happens on Sunday morning. Mary Magdalene and some other ladies have gone to the tomb to give Jesus a proper burial. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 11 out of John's Gospel, uh, chapter 20. Here's what Mary Magdalene finds. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where Jesus' body had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken my Lord away, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. So time out there for a second. Here's what's happening. Mary shows up to the tomb expecting Jesus' body to still be in the tomb. And so she's upset when she finds that his body's not there. She thinks somebody has stolen his body. She thinks somebody has moved his body, and now she can't give him a proper burial. So she's crying. She's weeping. She's hurting. She's upset. She's confused. She's questioning. She's distraught, to say the least. She doesn't know what's going on, and she doesn't know where Jesus' body at, is at, and she is, one word, upset. It's interesting that she's upset, even though the truth is that Jesus is alive. Like, we know how the story goes. We know the truth that Jesus is alive, yet her actions, her attitudes, her behavior, even her words are acting as if Jesus is dead, because she has not yet recognized the truth. So here's what happens next. Verse 14, she turned to leave. She's walking back out of the tomb. She turned to leave, and look at what happens. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there, and it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? Now, you got to think Jesus said this maybe with a little bit of a smirk. Here's Mary looking for Jesus. She turns around, and there's Jesus. He's kind of like standing off to the side, kind of like. <laughs> and then she says, she starts to walk past him. And, and so he's like, well, maybe I ought to talk to this woman who's looking for me. She said, well, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And notice her response here. She thought he was the gardener. No clue this was Jesus. She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said. If you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Mary Magdalene, 
one of Jesus' closest followers followed him around and watched him do miracles and listened to him teach, spent time with him and the other disciples. Mary Magdalene didn't just not recognize him, she mistakens him for the gardener. The gardener, I mean, we're talking about Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, Messiah, King of kings and Lord of lords. And Mary Magdalene thought that he was the gardener. Does that look like a gardener? No. Now I'll admit, that's probably not what Jesus looked like outside of the tomb anyway. Right, and even for us, like if you grew up in church and grew up in Sunday school, that is what Jesus looks like to you. Because that's what it looked like on that flannel graph when you were in Sunday school. So for sure, I could kind of begin to understand if Mary was looking for that Jesus and instead she sees the servant Jesus standing outside the tomb, no wonder she began to not recognize him. So I think oftentimes we're a lot like Mary where we don't always recognize Jesus. And here's what I think. This is is just purely what I think. Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. But I think we often mistaken Jesus or we don't recognize Jesus, not because he's absent, not because he's not there. We don't always recognize Jesus because he shows up in ways we're not expecting. Mary Magdalene, same thing. She was expecting to find Jesus in the tomb and not standing next to her. So she didn't recognize him because it's not what she expected. So often Jesus moves in our lives in ways that we don't expect. Jesus speaks to us in ways we don't expect. Jesus answers our prayers in ways we don't always expect. And I think because of that, we often don't recognize him. For example, how many of you have have prayed to God at some point? And it's a prayer of, of need. It's a prayer of help. It's a prayer of God. I'm desperate. I need you to show up. And it felt like God wasn't listening to your prayer. It felt like God didn't care about your prayer. Maybe you even thought that God wasn't even there at all because you never heard the answer. You never saw him show up. You never got the sign you were praying for. Is it possible, maybe, just maybe, God was there? Maybe God did show up. Maybe he did answer that prayer. Maybe he did help, just not in the way that you were expecting. Mary didn't recognize the living Jesus because she was looking for the dead body of Jesus. And when he showed up, She wasn't expecting it. But here's the truth, though, is Jesus was still there with Mary, right? He was standing right there next to her, even when she didn't know where he was. Jesus was still there with Mary, even when she didn't recognize him. And that was true for Mary in this story we're reading. It's also true for us today, that Jesus is with us. Jesus is with you, and Jesus is with me even if we don't recognize him, even if we don't understand all the time, even if we don't know where he might be, I promise you, the truth is that Jesus is there whether we recognize him or not. So here's what Jesus says to her next. Again, she's distraught, she's confused, she's hurting, she's crying, trying to figure out what's going on. Where have you taken Jesus? As she asked that to Jesus, thinking he's the gardener, and here's Jesus's response. Verse 16. Mary, Jesus said. He says one word to her, her name. Mary, Jesus said. And she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. That's all it took 
for this woman to, to go from not recognizing the truth about Jesus to now fully recognizing the truth and who he is was that one word when Jesus called her by name and said, Mary. She had been around him. She had seen him right here next to her, but she did not recognize him until Jesus said her name, until she heard him say her name with his own voice. That's how personal a relation, our relationship with Jesus should be. That even when we don't recognize him, that we can still hear his voice. Parents, you probably know this better than anybody. Becky, my wife and I, we can go to a park. We do this often. Parks are usually really crowded with all these other kids. And we could sit on one of the benches off to the side and us talking and me hanging out. And then we start to hear a kid cry. And we know immediately, without seeing the crying kid, we know immediately if it's our kid that's crying or if it's one of these other kids that are crying. We know immediately. We know because it's our kid and we know the voice of our kids. We know every sound they make. We know the cries and it's different than, than every other kid. We know the sound. And of course, if it's our kid that's crying, we make a beeline over, make sure they're okay. If it's another kid, we're like, where's that kid's parents? I mean, somebody take care of that crying child. Come on. Because we can tell the difference. It's different. I look out here among this crowd and there's many of you that I know and I know your families and I know your kids. I even know the names of some of your kids. So I might be able to point them out, but you know what I promise you I would never be able to do is recognize, recognize them by their voice. There's no way I would ever be able to do that because they're not my kid. And I don't know their voice like you know their voice. Just like you don't know the voice of my kids the way that I know the voice of my kids. It's personal. It shows the closeness of that relationship. And the closer you are in that relationship, the more you know one another. Jesus is showing us just how personal he desires our relationship to be with him to the point where he can say your name and you know it's him just by the sound of his voice to be that close, to have that depth of a relationship with Jesus. It's intended to be that personal that we know his voice and he knows us well. Verse 17, here's her response. So she hears him say, say her name. She calls out Rabbi, runs to him. And in fact, she embraces him so much. Verse 17, <laughs> look at what Jesus says. He says, don't cling to me. He's like, okay, good hug. Yep, I'm back. I'm real. This is really happening. Now give me some space. He says, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. In other words, my job's not done yet. My purpose is not fully finished. For I haven't ascended to the Father yet, but go and find my brothers. He's talking about his disciples. Go and find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now look at what Mary does. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave him them his message. They told, she told them the greatest news that she had ever heard, the greatest news that would ever be entrusted to her, that Jesus is alive. And that truth, that Jesus is alive, it changes us. It's amazing how different Mary was if you can compare Mary at the beginning of this story to the Mary at the end of the story. A lot has changed. If we compare the two, the beginning of the story, we said it earlier, she's crying, weeping, mourning, distraught, confused, hurt, all the things because she doesn't know where Jesus is at and she thinks somebody has taken his body. Get to the end of the story and she's embracing Jesus, she's full of excitement and joy and purpose, and she's on a mission to make sure everybody knows 
the truth that Jesus is alive. Now, Jesus was alive that whole time. Jesus being alive didn't change. It was Mary's ability to recognize the truth. And when she realized the truth, her life changed drastically and forever. Her life changed. Yes, of course, that's the story we just read from Mary, but that's the same for us as well. When we realize the truth, when we recognize the truth, when we believe that truth, our lives change today and for all of eternity as well. So here's what I want to do. For the next couple minutes, I want to just give you three questions to ask yourself. These might be great questions to not just think about here this morning on Easter Sunday, but maybe write one of these down, put it in your phone. Maybe this is a question that kind of sits in your mind and sits with you and in your heart for the next few days, maybe even the rest of this week. Because my prayer is that through these three questions, remember how we said God speaks in ways we don't expect? My prayer is that God would speak to you individually, you personally, through one of these questions. That you can begin to reflect and recognize the truth and a truth that changes us. So, very first question. Do you believe that Jesus is alive? You have to start there. You absolutely have to start there. Do I believe, do you believe that Jesus is alive? So often we get stuck in what we don't know. Well, exactly how did it happen and exactly why did it go this way? And there's often a lot of questions that kind of hinder us from believing. Well, I don't know everything yet. I don't have all my questions answered yet. What I love about Mary's example here is she did not believe that Jesus was alive until Jesus said her name. That's all it took. We talked about that already. She, she heard Jesus say her name, and then she believed. And the moment she believed, her response was full of acceptance and embrace. She accepted the truth, and then she ran and literally clung to Jesus to the point where Jesus said, like, stop clinging to me. What Mary did not do was, so you say you're Jesus, huh? Walk me through how you did the resurrection thing. Why did it take three days? Why didn't you just do it the day after? Where were you all that time? What were you doing? Help me understand the theology of the resurrection. Like, where does that all fit? Like, no, you don't see that. Now, trust me, please don't mishear me. There is a wonderful place for questions. God can handle your doubts. But at some point, you have to decide, do I believe or do I not believe? Do you believe that Jesus is alive? Because that's what saves us. It's not by what we do. It's by what he's already done. When we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, when we believe that he died for our sins on the cross, when we believe that he came back to life three days later, when we believe he is alive today and has given us his spirit, when we believe, not having all the answers, not having it all figured out, not having our life put back together, when we believe that's the moment that we are saved and we receive the free gift of his grace and the promise of eternal life to live with him forever in heaven. It comes down to that one question. Do you believe that Jesus is alive? If you answer yes to that, let me give you a second question. Are you living like Jesus is alive? Are you living? Are you living proof that Jesus is truly alive? Here's another way to kind of think through this, is think through your life how do you act? How do you think? How do you behave? What are your attitudes when life is good and when life is bad? Because we're going to experience both of those and everywhere in between. Just because you are a believer or a Christian does not mean your life goes well. Not at all. 
So how do you live in those everyday moments? Because if you believe that Jesus is alive, if you truly believe that he came back from the dead and conquered both sin and death and is alive today, then we also believe that he is with us, that he is always with us, which means we're not alone, which means he holds our hand and walks us through every difficulty and every struggle and every addiction and every trial and every crisis and every tragedy. He walks with us and in the moments he doesn't hold our hand, he holds us. If you believe that Jesus is alive, then live like he's with you because he is. It's what we just saying. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow because he's with me. If you believe that Jesus is truly alive, then you also would believe that nothing is impossible for him. If he can overcome death, he can totally overcome whatever you're dealing with. So often we find ourselves maybe thinking or even saying, God, this is too big for you. What I've done, what I'm in the middle of, this problem, this issue is too big for you. And he's saying, I, I came back to life from the dead. I can handle whatever you're going through. If you believe that Jesus is alive, then nothing you're going through is impossible because he is with you. He will give you the strength. Sometimes it's not the fix. Sometimes it's the strength to walk through it. So no matter the grief, no matter the hurt, no matter the crisis, no matter the tragedy, no matter the good, no matter the bad, he is with you and nothing is impossible. And lastly, we can trust him. Anybody that says, I'm going to die and come back to life and then actually does it, you can trust them. So we trust his word. We trust his leading. We trust his wisdom. It's not always what we think is best. There's plenty of times where we say, Jesus, man, if I was in charge, I would have done this a little differently. But we trust him. We trust him completely. We trust him when we don't understand. We trust him no matter what. So let me go back to the original question. Are you living like Jesus is alive? If so, then like Mary, we are full of not mourning and crying and worry and confusion, not because our life is better or easier. No, we are full of joy and hope and peace and love and life because Jesus is alive. And we know that we can trust him. We know that nothing is impossible. And we trust that he is with us. So are you living like Jesus is truly alive? Last question. Is your faith your faith? Not your mom and dad's faith. Not your kid's faith. Not the grandparents' faith because you grew up going to church and that's what we do. Not your spouse's faith that dragged you to Easter Sunday this morning. Not your friend's faith that you get to watch on the sidelines with. No, is your faith your faith. Is it personal? We've said this already. There's a big difference when it's personal. There's a difference between your kids and their kids, your house and their house, your team and their team, your faith and their faith. Is your faith personal? Because here's why that's such a big question, and I don't want us to overlook this one. Because when your faith is personal, it's no longer just a thing you do. So often we categorize faith or spirituality or religion <clears throat> or whatever word you want to put in there, and that is one piece of our life. Yes, I have faith, and I do this one or two things because I have faith. 
because I have a relationship with Jesus, because I call myself a Christian. No, no, when your faith is your faith and it's personal, everything comes from your faith. Your faith is no longer just a thing you do or one thing you do. It's the one thing that everything comes from. How you think comes from your faith. How you live comes from your faith. How you treat others comes from your faith. How you spend your time, your money, your effort, your energy, your thoughts, all of that comes from your faith because it's personal and it is who you are, not just something you do. Is your faith your faith? Now, if you were to say, Brian, I would like my faith to be a little bit more my faith. I don't know how to make it more personal. I am not a counselor by any stretch, but let me give you some advice. It would be the exact same advice I would give to somebody if they said, I wanna get closer with my spouse. I'm trying to get a, a closer, deeper relationship with my kids. Or I've got some friends that I just kind of feel on the outs with. How do I make a more personal relationship with my friends? Like, what would I tell them to do is the exact same thing I would tell you to do in your relationship with Jesus. Here's the advice. Spend more time with them. Talk more with them. Listen to them more. Get to know them more. The more you are with that person, the spouse, the friend, the child, the parent, Jesus, your relationship will grow and it will become more personal. Just like with Mary, she was so close to Jesus, even when she didn't recognize his face, she recognized his voice. That's the kind of relationship we are called to have. Now, we could totally end right there, but I still have some time, so we're going to do one more thing. <clears throat> that sounds great. I mean, I would love to have this personal relationship. I want to live differently and live like Jesus is alive. And yes, I most certainly believe, but there's one aspect we need to wrestle with, because I'm positive many of you are wrestling with this today, or you most certainly will wrestle with it in the future. There is today, or there will come a point where you will say, Brian, that sounds great. I would love to believe I want to live differently. And I really want to have a personal relationship, but I can't. I can't, and then you're gonna fill in the blank. And we're all gonna probably fill it in a little bit differently, but basically, I can't because of my past, because of my choices, because I've been hurt, because I caused hurt, because I have some addictions, because my life is, bottom line, broken. Feel like you can't believe and you can't have a different life and you can't have a personal relationship with Jesus because you would say in some sort of the word, I am broken. To you, let me show you these pictures. I just took a few pictures of them, uh, pictures that my kids drew um, relatively recently, uh, believe it or not. <laughs> um, and I look at those pictures and I think they are an absolute masterpiece. I think they are an absolute work of art. Now, the fact that none of you cheered for that says you don't think the same thing that I think. <laughs> I mean, I'm almost teary. I'm like, they did such a good job. And you're like, get to the point, Brian. They're just <laughs> pictures and crayons. Right, that makes sense to me. Again, we just said it's personal. So let me just say the reason that these are such beautiful pictures, and we've kept them. Like we've got, a, if you were here like a month ago, I even had a whole binder. Like we keep these photos and there's these pictures that they draw and they paint. We keep them not because of what they drew. We keep them and we treasure them and they are a masterpiece to me and my wife, not because of what they drew, but because who drew them? My kids drew them. My kids drew them. And so that makes their work beautiful to me. Not as much to you, but because they are my kids, what they drew is a masterpiece because of who they are, not what they drew. 
God's love for you is very similar. God's love for you is not based on what you do or what you produce. The flip side is also true. God's love isn't lessened or diminished by what you do or don't do. God's love for you is based on who you are, his. He looks at every single one of you and says, you are mine. You are a child of God. And that, that is the only reason he loves you. Not because of what you do, but because you are his. Another thing about those pictures is what they use to make those pictures. This was taken from our art room. We have a small little art room that they just create a bunch of that. So this is the crayon box that I took from the art room this morning. And if you were to look through this box of crayons, you're going to find a lot. That's not even a crayon. That's literally just a wrapper. (laughs) You're going to find wrappers. You're going to find broken crayons. You're going to find worn down crayons. You're going to find another wrapper. (laughs) None of these crayons are perfect. Far from it. But broken crayons still color. And these broken, messed up crayons can still be used to make something beautiful. Church, your broken, messed up life will be used by God to create a masterpiece, something beautiful that puts on display his glory and his goodness, his power and his grace and his love for you. There is no one beyond his reach. There is no sin that overshadows grace. It is always grace that overshadows our sin. There is not anything or anyone that is beyond the grip of God's grace. So whatever struggle, whatever addictions, whatever problems, whatever hurt, whatever pain, God has a plan to turn that into something beautiful, showing off his grace and his goodness. He uses the broken to show his goodness. I love that Mary didn't get in trouble for not believing Jesus at first. He didn't rebuke her. How dare you not recognize me? How many times did you walk with me? How many times did you hear from me? Not a a rebuke from Jesus' lips. Just an embrace. And then the command of, but we're not done yet. Let's tell people this great news. Let me leave you with one last truth out of Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy... And he loved us so much that even though we were dead, even though we were broken, even though our lives were messed up, even though we made some terrible decisions, even though terrible things have happened to us, even though we've thought terrible things, did terrible things, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. It's not by what you do. It's not by what you produce. It's by who you are. Verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Verse 10, for we are God's, would you say it with me? Masterpiece. For we are God's masterpiece. 
He has created us anew, a new life in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago, the purpose that he's given each and every one of us. When you recognize the truth, it changes your life, now and for all of eternity. Do you believe that Jesus is alive? That's what saves us. Not that we have all the answers and not that we do all the right things, but we believe. So do you believe that Jesus is alive? Are you willing to deny yourself, as Jesus said, pick up your cross daily and follow him to live your life as if he were alive because he is? And is your faith your faith? Is your faith personal? That everything you are and everything you do comes from your faith. It's no longer just one piece of your life. It is your life. And no matter how broken we may be, he will use us to do something great because we're his kids. If you would close your eyes with me, I want to give you a moment to reflect, maybe even pray through some of those questions. Do you believe? It's a yes or no question. It's not a fancy prayer that you need to say. I don't want to give you the words. I want those words to be from your own heart. But it probably sounds something like, Jesus, I don't have all the answers and I'm not exactly sure of everything, but yes, I believe that you are alive, that you are the son of God. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe that you are with me today. And I believe that I have the gift of grace and the gift of eternal life. Do you need to start living a little differently? We can't do that on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. Stop trying to break the addiction on your own. Stop trying to just do better. Allow Jesus and the fact that he's with you and that nothing is impossible for him. Trust him. Walk in his grace each and every day. Maybe this moment is just you praying to God personally for the first time. Instead of the pastor praying for you, you pray for you. Have a conversation with your personal Lord and Savior. And each and every day, grow in your relationship with him. Jesus, thank you so much for what you have done on the cross, for what you have done with the empty grave. Thank you for the life that we now have, abundant life here and now, but eternal life in heaven with you forever. Thank you that it's not based on what we do or don't do for the rules that we follow or the list and the check boxes that we go through, but it's based on the fact that we are yours and you want to be with us. Jesus, thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for the love. We put our hope only in you. We put our faith only in you. We find our strength and power. We find forgiveness and love only in you. In Jesus' name, amen.